everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Vodka Clock Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. You can support my work every month going to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked. And right now, if you are listening in May of 2023, I have a Kickstarter running for the first Winchester Naboo Detective Agency cat comics. Um, The comics are all ages, even though uh, sometimes online I allow the cats to have some adult language, but the comic book will be all ages. And uh, so I would love your support there. If you go to Kickstarter, you can type in Amber or Amber Love or Winchester, and it should come up. If not, just go to amberonmass.com and there's a pinned post there waiting for you. So I'm really excited to have Jeremy Whitley back on the show today because um, he's quite a busy writer. So (laughs) I'm sure there's plenty to talk about. But this month, uh, he's releasing a brand new book, which uh, is very impressive. And uh, we're going to talk all about it. So Jeremy, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Your new graphic novel, The Dog Knight, is going to launch this month, May, And it's by Macmillan, which is, again, very impressive. And you have art with with Brie Indigo. And now Melissa, I've seen her last name as two different things. So what's Melissa's name? Uh, I believe it's pronounced Pegliuchin. I don't don't think I've ever actually heard her say it, but that's that's how I think it's pronounced. All right. Um, So the dog night, give us a summary of this book and um you know what target demographic you're looking for yeah it's a well i think it's something that everybody's going to be able to get something from but specifically it's aimed for you know middle grades readers uh people who are about the same age as the the protagonist which is you know late elementary school to middle school um and it's uh you know it's it's sort of a fun book about uh a lot of things like you know finding your place and uh, figuring out who you are and figuring out who to, uh, who to forgive and what to forgive and how to move forward with, uh, with things like friendship. But also it's about, uh, you know, fun, fluffy, cute dogs who also happen to have superpowers. Yeah, that was, um, of course, you know, such a cool part and the artwork is really great. You know, the dogs are very individual and so are the people. I, I really loved how Brie did, um, you know, she, she really made everybody, every single character unique. And I mean, you know, when you get used to certain kinds of art, you know, if you compare Superman to Batman, for example, they're basically the exact same figure, but with a different outfit. <laughs> so, yeah, they're just, they're just um, different skins on the creator character, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I love when I see art that really reflects um, a wide range of people, just different sizes, shapes heights colors everything and um and this book really had all of that in there so our main character in the dog night is frankie so explain um who frankie is and um i really loved the the family dynamic as well so if we can get into frankie and their mom uh i'd love to hear your your take yeah, so uh, Frankie is a, a middle schooler. They are uh, non-binary, um, and this is not a coming-out story, but this is sort of dealing with, you know, it, it's been about a year um, since Frankie came out, and 
you know, their their mom is super supportive. Um, they've had some less supportive responses from, you know, their, their own friends. But they are, you know, very much who they are from the start of this book, which is, um, you know, they're... Uh, they're active, they're funny, they're, uh, you know, they, they like to play drums, they like to, um, you know, they, they have actually a really good relationship with their mom, Diane. Um, but in particular, like, they really love dogs, but Diane is uh, really allergic to dogs. So, you know, Frankie's never been able to have one. So this is like a, a thing where, you know, They've, they've always been really into it, and it just so happens that uh, dogs play a, a major part in their uh, in their destiny. Yeah, that was um, pretty clever because it's like, well, it's a challenge, but it's, you know, it's something that both these main characters are going to have to deal with. And um, but it's not like a devastating type of challenge. It was just, you know, I, I love that. It's like there are levels to what's what they have to face <laughs> yeah and I, I mean i think diane as a character frankie's mom is really important to me because i think you know there there are plenty of examples in fiction and in real life of of parents who are not supportive of their uh their kids identities or their kids sexualities and you know diane is uh, a character that I wanted to provide sort of like a, a positive example in these stories, because there are plenty of, of parents who, especially, you know, now who are much more supportive of their kids, who are much more willing to engage with, you know, these, these parts of their personalities and um, be supportive parents and, and do what they can to uh, make their lives, you know, uh, <laughs> spend less time worrying about just being accepted for being who they are. So, you know, Diane is, um, she is smart in her own right. She's a lawyer. She's, you know, always sort of active in the book and, and doing her own thing. But, you know, anytime Frankie needs anything, uh, Diane is, you know, their number one supporter. And, and that was important to show for me. It's, um, it's really great that you made the, the writing choice of having Frankie be non-binary because it's sort of, I don't want to say like, oh, it's never existed before. Okay. Like I understand there's like long, long history if you get into it. But if you look at, you know, an average person, they probably don't have an understanding of what non-binary is. Just, I don't know. It, it's a different type of transgender. So even like when let's say Caitlyn Jenner came out, it took people a while to get pronouns correct, mm -hmm. but there was a bit of understanding, I think in saying, okay, this, um, you know, was a person assigned at birth as one thing they're transitioning into this other thing. And when neither of those things fit, I think it's, really throwing people for a loop. And it's interesting because they, they can wrap their head around the idea, like, okay, you, there's a spectrum, you don't fit over there, you don't fit under there. But for some reason, they get hung up on using the singular they, which has been around for like 800 years or something. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I don't know, have you been able, since you, I'm assuming, did your research, like, have you been able to find a way to explain non-binary to to people who might seem confused? I mean, I, I think, uh, <laughs> interestingly, I think as far as understanding uh, the idea of, of people name being non-binary, there's sort of a spectrum of, <laughs> of people understanding it. Um, yes. Because, you know, there's, there are people who are, you know, immediately understanding and receptive of it. There are people who uh, are a bit curmudgeonly about one thing or another, have a bit of trouble getting over their personal hangups about language or binary. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the problems is uh, that there are people who have, have grown to define themselves by one end or another of this binary and... Um, in some cases even may have uh, may have wanted this as an alternative at some point and it was not aware it existed or were told that it was not a possibility. But I, I think that, you know, I don't think it's that difficult to understand because we've had some version of, of this idea for a long time. And I think it's just, it's just the wording that's different. I mean, cause you know, it's, it's not as if there were no idea, there was no idea of, you know, a, a girl who was boyish or hung out with the boys or did not fit in with the other girls or, you know, we're, we were very fond, I think, in, you know, when I was a kid of, of talking about tomboys and, right. uh, you know, less so when it came to people who were assigned male at birth moving the other direction. But I think, you know, this is a a place in the middle where people can actually be, be comfortable with, with defining themselves as this rather than being like, well, I know you understand me as female, but also, you know, I'm actually like 80% over here. Um, so I, I think, you know, talking to people that um, it's not always something that people understand or really have to understand on like a, you know, intellectual level. Um that, you know, they, they have to be able to relate this necessarily to something in their own life. But, you know, there, there certainly are people that do, but I think it's important for people who, who can't necessarily make that jump to be like, uh, to take a moment to say, okay, well, this is how this person understands themselves and how they want to be addressed. So why is it so difficult for me to, to give them that, like, you know, to be able to meet them where they're at when I would expect the same thing, you know, uh, from them, for me. Mm -hmm. I, uh, my, my own like personal, uh, life that I've noticed within myself is when I, I think the difference for me is when I've met somebody who's already introduced themselves as, you know, one way and then names and pronouns change or something and I have to get used to that and I mean I've changed my own name but I'm cisgender and I know people just can't seem to get used to it so I I think that a lot of times that's what it is when you know you've called somebody something for 20 years 30 years and then they're asking something else and it dawned on me that well, if you can get used to this tradition of women, once they get married, changing their last names, 
it might take a little while. You might write the check the wrong way at first, but you should pick up on it at some point if that's, you know, so it's just, that's what I noticed about myself was, oh, well, if it's, if it's a change from what you knew that person as, then um, it just might take a little time. Yeah. I, I think but, the problem is in a lot of cases when people who don't know or don't understand um, become, uh, feel like it's an attack on them, right? Like they feel like yeah. they screwed something up. Um, when like in reality you can be corrected and, and helped without, you know, it, it being a moral failing of yours. Um, you know, and I think in the, the world as it is right now, it's in a lot of cases difficult to know this stuff ahead of time because, you know, there are so many people who I am friends or acquaintances with only through Facebook or Twitter. And, you know, in, even in the comic sphere, I might see once or twice a year at a convention normally. And if not, in some cases, haven't seen for several years uh, because of the, the pandemic and everything. So I think, you know, accepting that, hey, you don't necessarily know who this who this name is on your Facebook feed um, because it's not, you know, the name right. of the, the person as you knew them um, and being able to, uh, you know, look and uh, try to understand and figure things out. Um, accepting that is like not necessarily something you've done wrong so much as like, Hey, this is uh, this is something that my friend is dealing with. I need to understand this and, and go forward with it just the same way you would understand that change in life for somebody who was, you know, who was pregnant, who had a child, who got married, um, you know, and had those same sort of differences in who they are and, and how their lives are lived. Because I certainly remember, you know, uh, even like when when we had our first kid, like there was a certain amount of like hey, we can't go out and do this thing because, you know, we have a kid at home. And there were also people in our, our friend group who took that personally. And it's like, no, that's not, <laughs> it's not, not about, about you. <laughs> yeah, very true. And, uh, you know, getting to the to this point of when it is a personal interaction, if you screw up, you know, people are going to screw up. I think everybody knows that. So uh, if you don't have to make a big scene out of apologizing. That's one piece of advice I've seen is, is just like, um, fine. Just say, you know, okay, sorry. Thanks for, for correcting. You know, like you don't have to fall over yourself in embarrassment. You know, it's just, uh, just, okay, thanks. Uh, I'll, you know, oh, right. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Thanks for the yeah, reminder. Got it. I'll yeah. get it right next time. Get it yeah. right next time. And I, and I think that's really cool. Um, I think young people are in some areas, let's, you know, we're, we're in the United States and there's a lot going on here (laughs) and there's Mm -hmm. so, so much going on here. So Frankie is of this age where, um, you know, there, any kid that age is going to be discovering things Uh, you know, what are they like? What are they not like? Starting to challenge and rebel a little bit and, you know, play with fashion and music and arts and other ways of expression. So I, I think it was really beautiful in the dog night, how it opens with Frankie trying to figure out what the heck do I wear to this Mm -hmm. 
band concert and, you know, being in the school band as a drummer, what the heck do I wear to this band concert? The mall is, you know, like these are the stores in the mall. I don't know what to do. And um, so I'm not sure how much direction you gave Brie with picking the different outfits and all the different styles of outfits uh, to express you know, Frankie's frustration in the beginning. And then there's like, my favorite scene is when um, there's this amazing store later on in the book um, with uh, Sam and Nadia. And uh, there's a whole like fashion show (laughs) type of scene almost of Frankie trying on a bunch of different outfits. So I was wondering like from a process point of view, how, how much direction you gave to Brie? Did you like, you know, send Pinterest files or something, or did you just let let Bree handle all of that? I mean, I think it's a, a little bit of a very vague direction on my case, and a little bit of uh, letting Bree do Bree because Bree is is also non-binary, um, and that was like a, a big thing with telling this story. Is I, I wanted to make sure we had a you know a non-binary artist on board, somebody that um, you know I didn't feel like. I wanted to be the one explaining what a non-binary, you know, character dresses like what a non-binary character might feel to the person drawing them so much as, you know, I've wanted somebody on, on our team who, you know, had that experience firsthand, who could add something to that. Um, And, you know, Brie was like an immediate, uh, immediately connected with, with the character and with the story and I think was the, the perfect choice to draw this. Um, but yeah, I think as I was going through it, I think, I mean, the the mall experience is not exclusive to uh, gender dysphoria. <laughs> I think like, we've, oh no, yeah. We've all, you know, as yeah. a plump person, I can understand how I frustrating mean, yeah. stores, <laughs> stores with straight sizes are. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big guy, right? And so there's not yeah. really more than maybe one or two stores in a mall that I might find something in like the upper range that I can wear. Um, You know, and that is, that is a huge frustration, especially when you're, you know, a kid in in middle school who has, you know, no choice, but to go the parent, the places your parents know um, to to get clothes. And that's a, it's, it's rough. And I think, you know, it's particularly rough around gender because so many clothes are specifically cut to uh to what we think of as you know traditionally male and traditionally female proportions so you know it's it's often hard for somebody uh who is you know slimmer to find uh, a suit that fits them correctly um just like it's, it's difficult for somebody with you know traditionally male proportions to find dresses uh that that fit them correctly so i think you know, this is, this was an important thing. And I, it was largely like Sam and Nadia's this story is largely inspired by like, you know, stories I've, I've seen online and in, you know, uh, places on, um, not, not documentaries, but, you know, reality shows and things like that, where there are, you know, stores out there that are designed specifically for this sort of thing that have, you know, uh, that know their tailoring and, and know how to, um, help people who are, who maybe have, you know, different body types who are looking to dress in a, a way that is not, um, that is not usually catered to for their body type. Yeah. And with Frankie, 
at least um, there's a little bit of a break because uh, Frankie's mom, Diane, is a lawyer. So at least there's, you know, that there's not a financial struggle. Like they have a, you yeah. know, they live in a house. It doesn't look like, you know, it's not a big, huge, elaborate house. It's just a nice little house. And um, so Diane works long hours and she's really into physical fitness. So that's something they do together to spend time together. And, um, but I, I watch Abbott Elementary. I don't know if you watch that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the kids in certain public schools, just to, to keep that, um, the whole struggle of not having the best clothes or whatever, the kids wear uniforms, even in public school, which is something that's different from where I went to school. You know, I went to public school, but you wore whatever the heck you wanted, really, as long as it wasn't violating dress code. Um, But I remember at the time there was a big debate about uh, implementing uniforms to alleviate this idea of somebody dressing better than somebody else. I, you know, I don't know if it was because like kids sneakers were being stolen or whatever. I have no idea where it stemmed from, but I remember that it was something in the high school newspaper that we, we had uh, talked about. Um, so with Frankie, at least the school that they're in seems, you know, seems like they can wear pretty much whatever they want as long as they're comfortable. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, you know, and again, but at band, we did have the black and white thing, too. I don't know if you were in band. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in band. Um, yeah. Yeah. They were specifically nonspecific. It's like it, it has to meet these yes. certain criteria. Um, yeah. But like we're we also not going to provide it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like just black and white. If you can, black on the bottom, white on the top or something. Yeah, I mean, you kind of felt like a server in a you know restaurant, yep. <laughs> um, which you know, I think some people were. So <laughs> it fit really well. Um, but uh, but I, I, you know, again, I love how all of that came out visually. Um, and also, you know, I think I think it's important to say that Frankie's also, I believe, biracial from the looks of like Diane was very dark and Frankie's very light. Yeah. We don't, um, we or don't meet just or really said. see Frankie's yeah. father at all. Um, but yeah, she's the, um, yeah, Diane is, is quite a bit darker. And, uh, I, I think definitely the implications of, uh, <laughs> of Frankie's, uh, looks are, are that they are biracial. Um, I think they're, I think they might be roughly based on a combination of, of both, you know, Brie, who is biracial as well. And uh, a little bit on my own daughters, um, you know, who don't, right. Who don't look that much, uh, that far off from Frankie. Yeah. Yeah. With a wonderful, you know, ethnic hair, as they say, you know, <laughs> I think it's really great. And I, I feel bad that there are these, uh, you know, dress codes, um, in offices and in schools about how somebody can wear their hair. I'm like, you know, if someone came in with a green mohawk in high school, nobody would give a shit. But if they go onto the basketball court with braids, the, I mean, the only reason that I can see stuff being discussed like that is, oh, well, it can be used to grab and to pull. And it's like, okay, but if you're not going to stop somebody else from 
you know, a on the girls' team. Yeah, a ponytail. Or if, you know, if a girl can wear braids, but a boy can't wear braids. It's just too confusing and makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, my, a lot of these things, it's hard to, for me to say specifically how much they've changed because, uh, you know, I, I grew up largely in Western North Carolina and we had a very strict dress code in high school. We often had kids sent home for, uh, well, for their, their hair being dyed, quote, unnatural colors, unquote. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of girls, uh, a lot of girls specifically got sent home because their shorts were too short. Um, and you know, that is, that is not at all the case at the, the middle school where my, my daughter goes to school there. Uh, but she, you know, goes to school in, in Durham. So, you know, in, in the triangle in North Carolina, which is much more progressive and, um, you know, that there, <laughs> frankly, when I, I pick up to, or go to pick her up some days, there are outfits there that I'm surprised uh, that, you know, got out of the house. But, um, you know, they're, I, I support the fact that, you know, kids can, kids at that school can, can dress and look however they want, um, which is nice. I, uh, I don't know that um, my parents would have uh, signed off on a lot of, of stuff. But I, I also, you know, my parents wouldn't have had a problem with, uh, with me dyeing my hair um, which the, the school certainly did. So, Yeah, ours was somewhere in between. I, I think I had to change once because they considered my dress too tight. Um, but yeah, our hair color, it was like, you know, to give in a, a paint the picture. I mean, this was when Boy George, Cindy Lauper, you know, David Bowie, you know, we mm. had people who looked very dynamic and unusual and colorful and you know so even thinking about gender um people like david bowie you know we grew up saying androgynous and but apparently that just seems to mean thin also (laughs) like um you know and so there's like some body issues there if you if you use that word like um uh, I think I think a lot of this discussion I remember seeing when Ruby Rose was cast as Batwoman originally. But um, but you know I had gotten to thinking about oh yeah well, Boy George was, um, you know as far as I know pronouns were always he. Um, yeah, and I mean I, yeah. I think with with like the hmm, I think a lot of the like. 80s and early 90s idea of, of androgyny has a lot to do uh, with boobs. Um, yes, yes, exactly. To, yeah, like I think, you know, I think that's an important distinction to make with, you know, people who are non-binary is that it's not an aesthetic choice. Like it's not that somebody feels they are non-binary because they don't have boobs or they do have boobs. Um, you know, it's it's a lot more to do with who they are and um you know who they feel they are on the inside um and you know it's it's not other people's decision to decide whether or not they are non-binary based on um uh, you know how how they look or how they're shaped yeah that's an excellent point in fact my mom even was talking about it and um 
And I'm glad she talks to you know me about things because I can, <laughs> if I know, if I'm in in the know about something, I can at least you know give her better information. But she said that there was somebody on YouTube that she watches and and or it was maybe it was Jeopardy. She's very very strict on watching Jeopardy, and somebody was using they pronouns. But then my mom said, kept saying she because. She was like, well, well, she uses they, but has boobs. <laughs> and I was just yeah. like, okay, do you see what's going on in that, in that circle that you just made? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you can't help boobs. They just grow or they don't grow. I mean, like, you know, differences if you start getting on, on hormones that change that effect, but you know, mine were just there. There was no avoiding them. So, yeah. you know, it is, I think they're, I think getting, that notion of oh if you're short haired you know you have short hair you were a lesbian or you know <laughs> it was just like crazy shit that we grew up with yeah and i think you know there's there is also in the, the age of people we grew up with a huge amount of questions about like what what genitals you have or what your genitals yes. look like and it's like just that's yeah. none of your fucking business at no point yeah. is that a question you need to ask anybody uh you know it's it's, it's not important to the way the person identifies or uh, the way the person dresses um it's you know it's up to them and i you know i don't know it's I, it's a slow slow coming of age of people like actually figuring this stuff out but um you know, I, I think there's a point where people just have to like accept that it's it's you know not their not their business the exact uh, direction and and path that somebody took to get where they are, but that they accept that they are who they are and where they are, and you know interact right. with them from there. Right. I mean, I even in my adult life, I spent so much time. Um, in New Hope, Pennsylvania, which is like one of my favorite little towns to go to. And it's a big queer community there. So uh, I used to be part of this fundraiser every year that was a um, half drag show. And uh, the other half, um, we did a witchcraft ritual for Halloween to show people what that was like. So, the, you know, it was just a ticketed event. Anybody could could be there. But it was a really great experience for me to get to know these drag queens, you know, backstage and, you know, like, you know, letting, you know, one of them try on my dress from that evening and stuff like that. You know, it was, we all got to just mingle backstage as, you know, without barriers because none of us gave a shit. I mean, first of all, we were naked under our witchcraft robes because that's tradition. So, um, you know, so it was just like one of those things where it was a very open and freeing, you know, like environment there. And, um, you know, to to get to meet, you know, Miss Gay Pennsylvania. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And even I can even remember... um, not fully getting it because I was in this big learning phase there of one of the the 
drag queens because you can be in drag and not be transgender. And I think that throws people off as well is there's yeah, no assumption most, there. Most trans or most drag queens are not transgender. You know, it's, right. it's a performance. Um, it's a performance. Yeah. And so, um, so a lot of the trans community that I've seen, they think it either helps or it hurts. There's kind of like this divide and um, they're like, Oh, I don't want my identity to be entertainment for somebody. And I get it. Um, but nonetheless, drag queens exist and I find it entertaining. Um, so I remember being in the bathroom line, which of course to the ladies room is always long. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember saying to, to somebody who um, definitely had top surgery, but I don't know what was going underneath this gorgeous sequined gown. And I said, you know, you could probably go in the short line. And, and she was just like, not going to, you know, move from the ladies line because I didn't know. I'm like, is this a costume or is this, you know, who you are? <laughs> um, I've gone into the men's room in places that so I'll admit that. Yeah. And, you know, but with a buddy, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. but also um, at FlameCon the first year, it was in a different place. I think it was in Brooklyn and FlameCon had, um, I think three different bathrooms to choose from. I think they had men's, women's and, and everybody. Um, and a lot of the steampunk things that I went to were that way as well. So that way everybody could find, you know, what they were looking for and someplace safe. And that's really the big thing because I mean, from what I saw, I don't hang out on Twitter really anymore um, since the Elon Musk, you know, takeover. But um, I do check in once in a while, like usually once a day. And I saw something about um, that cis women so far have been the ones getting the bullying and abuse at the bathrooms because Again, you can be a cis woman and you can be butch. You can have short hair. You can, you know, like you might look, quote unquote, mannish. (laughs) And um, so uh, it's just these, I don't know, these people who are so closed minded are out there harassing people in bathrooms. And it's like, why don't you just worry about yourself? And I mean, if I had to put up with, you know, little boys coming into locker rooms because their mothers wouldn't let them sit outside the door, then, you know, those little boys are seeing what they're going to see anyway. You know, kids are going to see things. So it's just going to be there. And you can either be, um, I don't know, have your perverted thoughts that you think everybody's out to attack kids. Or, you know, which I think is a reflection on those folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or just let people go to the goddamn bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I think this has proven to be the case in a lot of things recently, but it's always sort of been my thought process that those people who are accusing, uh, you know, drag queens or, or trans people of of these things, those are maybe the people that you really need to look out for because, Often it's the the people that are so sure of the evil things that people will do if they have access or they have, you know, uh, 
power that those are the people that think that you'll do that because that's what they would do. That's what, um, that's what they do. Yeah. Especially these yeah. politicians. I mean, oh, how sure. many of them, you know, I, it's just like the, I can't even remember the one, I don't know, one of the old white dudes where there's <laughs> tons of pictures of him without a shirt on at a pride parade or something. And he's like a swinger and he's into BDSM and it's like, um, you know, but he keeps trying to pass these laws about, you know, being so restrictive on other people's rights. And it's like, dude, what the fuck? Your pictures are all over the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, it's ridiculous. And I, I think, you know, I think there's always going to be that handful of rotten people like that, that, you know, know that understand and know where people are coming from and what's going on and just want to discriminate against people anyway. And, and, you know, try and scare the rest of the people into being on their side. And I think you can't, you can't worry about trying to reach those people. You can't try to reach across the aisle to that handful of people. What you can do is, you know, uh, talk to those people that are in the middle. And I think, you know, a lot of those people, it's just a matter of experience of, of knowing somebody who is non-binary or knowing somebody who's trans and, um, you know, knowing that this is not, you know, this is not a, a performance. This is not something that people are doing just for for fun or to annoy you or whatever it is right. that people think. Um, but I, I think that's where, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I, it's where, you know, telling stories like the dog night is important where you can have, you know, stories where there are heroes from, you know, these, these marginalized communities. So people can, uh, know them and have those, those same sort of associations. And I, I think, you know, I think early on I saw this with, with princeless and young boys too. Like what a difference having a story with a, you know, girl is sort of this sword uh, or the swashbuckling uh, fantasy protagonist had in, in the way that, you know, boys perceived the, the girls that they knew in their own lives. Yeah. It's always such a shame when um, parents don't let their boys you know, read a book because there's a girl on the cover or get a girl's, you know, toy or something. And, um, you know, and I love the argument of, you know, what are you afraid of that your boy's going to grow up to be a good dad if he has a doll, you know? <laughs> and because I saw that with, you know, people in my family, you know, one of the boys wanted a Barbie doll one time. And it's like, well, sure. She's sparkly. She's bright. She's, you know, she's pretty. I mean, there is so much, you know, young eyes are attracted to vivid things. That's, that's just part of the brain as it's, as it's starting to develop and, you know, blinking lights to a kid like at Christmas time are going to be attractive. Whereas when you're, you know, 40, it might give you a goddamn migraine, you know, (laughs) It's, (laughs) it's just, you know, it's just part of where you are in development. So I, I think it's important um, nowadays. In fact, you see it more in daycares and stuff where, you know, the boys are just as encouraged as anyone else to go to the, the, those adorable uh, miniature kitchen setups that they have. Mm-hmm. I don't remember having that kind of fancy stuff, <laughs> um, but we did have like, you know, toy vacuums. I kind of remember that because it made this very loud popping sound. It had this dome of things that popped. 
and mm-hmm. um, like little tiny fake lawnmowers and and uh, I, so you know so there was like some tools and I remember kids tools but they were actually made out of like wood and metal. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, I I know like my my six year old daughter is uh, has for I guess the last year or so been going through a real dinosaur phase um, and you know that's I think unfortunate traditional wisdom is like dinosaurs are a boy thing are a boy thing yeah Yeah. Um, but like she (laughs) we got her a little like uh raptor mask uh for uh her for her birthday or for christmas or something and she loves like running around in that thing and roaring at people um you know so i i think you know kids are gonna kids are gonna like what they like and i think the most important thing is to be supportive and you know educational where you can um, and not try to force them into your, your weird little boxes. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, are my tools pink? Yes, they are because I happen to like pink, but, um, I will also go in the garage and pick the same stuff. That's like, you know, yellow or orange, because that's the thing I need. Um, so it's, I, I think it was, Oh gosh, I don't remember what show it was, but I remember seeing something about um, scooters, those kinds that um, it's like a skateboard, but with a, you know, a handlebar. Yeah, like um, razor scooters. The, razor scooters. Those things, like when they came out, they're a really big deal. And one of the color options was this bright pink. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they let boys go pick their colors or something. And... um there was no hesitation for this one boy to go grab the pink scooter. Whereas the other ones were kind of like, Ooh, I don't want the pink one. I'll take green. I'll take blue. It was, you know, and it's one of those things where pink only became a girl's thing in like the 1950s from like an ad campaign. Yeah. Just like diamond rings, uh, you know, became the engagement ring only because of an ad campaign. Like there's no real tradition about it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, and I, so when let's steer this back to the dog night and kids, um, adding dogs, of course, a benefit to a picture book, a kid's book. Um, but this is, this is a comic. It's not a picture book. Um, so the dogs, are you a dog person? You have, you have dogs? Uh, we have a dog. I am also, uh, I'm also a little allergic to dogs. Um, oh, so it was, okay. It was a thing for a while with us that, like, I, you know, I had always wanted to really have a dog, but it was, you know, a a problem, and my kids really wanted to have a dog. Um, thankfully, I'm not nearly as allergic to dogs as I am to cats, uh, which cats make me absolutely miserable. Um, but mm-hmm. like, you know, with the the dogs, it's like, all right, occasionally I have to take some allergy medicine, but uh, yeah, I have a we have a rescue dog named ace um he has basically the same level of energy as me so he's a (laughs) chill dog dog. spends a spends a good amount of the day sleeping um you know he'll come in here a couple times a day and just uh you know sit with me get his scratches and then go back and lay down somewhere (laughs) so none of the dogs in the the pothion of um dogs do they look like him uh, not quite. He's, he's a bit of a hound dog. Um, so okay. he's a little, he's sort of between, uh, the, the good Dane and, and, uh, platinum to some extent, I think. 
Okay. So let's, I, I do want to run down through the, the dog Pothion mm-hmm. here because they were adorable. I saw, oh my gosh, I was, where was I? I was at a cafe um, over the weekend and I saw an Afghan hound outside the window and I was just mm-hmm. like, and it was raining. So the poor thing didn't look its best, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but they are just like such beautiful dogs. Um, so we have Omni Dog, who is the um, embodiment of all dog traits in one very um like glowy and uh, like the voice of all of them and uh so again there's no i mean i'm not sure if there were intentional except for the one uh, um intentional uh breed choices but you mentioned the good dane um who's the champion of kindness legal beagle who's the champion of honesty um, and then <laughs> I love this name, Yorkshire Terror, tiny little thing, champion yes. of justice. He and might be my favorite. He's he's definitely up yeah, there. Yeah, seriously. That one that one was fantastic because that's exactly their personality. Um uh loyalist, champion of loyalty, and platinum, the retriever, champion of smell, I think. I think I'm and dog. Dog is a big burly what English bulldog, I guess. Mm-hmm. Very, very husky, burly um, dog. <laughs> yeah, and I just love that. champion of stubbornness. So. Champion of stubbornness. And I will say, without giving away too many spoilers, the challenge is each dog sends uh, Frankie through a challenge. And uh, dog's stubbornness challenge had me, too. I would have failed. Yeah, he's a tough one because, you know. It's like like so many bulldogs, things are going to happen his way or not at all, um, you know. So that was uh, that that's a that was a difficult one. Um, I was I personally I really loved the Trial of Justice because um, I really like the Yorkshire Terror was a character that just sort of came out of my head fully formed. So I was like, what if Batman? But a Yorkie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, he's convinced of his own Batman-ness. He's, you know, jumping off of roofs and hiding in the shadows and, and making all sorts of, like, big proclamations and threats and things like that. And he's got, you know, one-liners and fight banter and everything. Um, but he is a tiny yappy dog. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you, though, they... They usually are the loudest and scariest sometimes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, well, I mean, like, I've been to the park and, you know, people are supposed to leash their dogs. And, of course, they don't. <laughs> yeah. um, it's always the little and, ones that get to run around, too. And I remember hearing these beagles. They were like, I don't know if they were actually hunting beagles but there was since there were multitudes of them i was like oh man either it's some kind of like beagle club or just somebody who happens to be obsessed with them and owns a bunch but i had the cat i had gus with me and he heard it obviously well before i did and immediately like darted off the trail wanted to hide in like the ferns and the rocks and so here I am, you know, in the midst of probably, you know, 800 ticks trying to calm Gus down 
And then all of a sudden I see, you know, these dog walkers and these beagles. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, that's what he's upset about. And they didn't come directly past us, thank goodness. They they took a different trail. But, um, yeah. And when the, the, hardcore, the, huh? Yeah, he was just like, no way. He has, he's been chased by dogs, but it's interesting that the, the dogs that are, are around here that he did run into, they like, they were pretty respectful. Like they were just, they were kind of happy, like, like, oh, there was something new to go see. And Gus, you know, bolted up a tree and was hanging on for dear life. And these were bigger dogs, like retriever sized dogs um, mm-hmm. or labs. I think one was a yellow lab, one was black lab. And plus, I usually have treats on me, so I probably smelled okay, like a combination <laughs> of chick- chicken and bug spray. But um, they were they were very friendly. So, but to convince Gus that he was not about to be bitten in half was, you know, an ordeal. So, I had to. The owner called them back, and I was able to to get him out of the tree and we he ran home <laughs> he was like out <laughs> of here <laughs> yeah. um yeah so trying to be adventurous with the cat when dogs um are not restrained is very difficult <laughs> yeah i would say the the cats and the dog night have a slightly different uh part to play in there though yeah they really do and i i I think the uh the leader was like this naked cat and i've been following a few on instagram because they're just so ridiculously cute they're so weird and cute um they have to take their baths every week i don't know if you if you are on instagram but there's the dark lord um the dark lord has been in a star wars commercial um (laughs) because of his name um and Oh, the other one is, uh, his name is Cooper. I think it might be Sphinxville, but, uh, you, it's so cute to see their, their weekly bath time. Um, because the dark Lord has this little shower cap, like it's like a little old lady shower cap. It's so cute. <laughs> um, and, uh, let's see, is it? Yeah, Sphinxville is Cooper. He has an army of bathtub ducks, and he gets a bubble bath. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for weird-looking cats, too. Um, but, yeah, they definitely have a different role in the book. <laughs> yeah, we have sort of our, our little uh, gang of feral cats that hang out in the woods that, uh, you know, are, are part of one of Frankie's trials. And, yeah, the, the, cats, will, the cats will be back. We've got more stories in uh in the can this is the first book of a trilogy at least um so yeah okay. the, the cats will play a, a much bigger role in the third one because oh, yeah, cats are much more cats are much more neutral in this fight between order and chaos um, mm-hmm. it takes a lot to spur them into action well, I was wondering, I'm like, ooh, he wrote the dog night. I'm like, I wonder if he'll do one from the cat's perspective. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're we're working on you know the, the third book. There's uh, sort of our our own uh, cat version of the Pathion that pops up in there. Um, so a little okay. preview to, to get people. Oh, good. About that. So good. So I I will be excited about that. Um, and this got um, as I mentioned 
uh, up front that this is published by Macmillan and their mm-hmm. kids imprint. So how did that come about? It's not your typical comic book publisher is, is why it caught my attention. Um, well, this was a, the book was pretty early in its sort of idea phase. And I, uh, talked to my agent Mo about it and, uh, I was like, oh, I, I know the perfect publisher that would just love that book. Let me go talk to them. And, uh, and she talked to Fywell and Friends, which is an imprint of Macmillan. And, uh, you know, they're they're big on, on kids' dogs or kids' books with dogs. And uh, this seemed, you know, sort of right up their alley. They were excited about the, the concept and the character and everything. Um, and so it's, I mean, there are a lot of books that I've written that it's like you have the whole the whole thing written and ready to go before any publisher, you know, really even looks at it. But this was one that very early in the stages, uh, Mo took it to them and they were like, yes, this is definitely something we want to get in on. Um, you know, and, and it sort of evolved from there. Um, cause yeah, they were the, they're the first, um, you know, non comics publisher that I've worked with. Um, so it's a, it's a little different process. Um, but they've, they've been really great. And, uh, the, the great thing is with uh, non-comics publishers, they pay advances too. So. Oh my goodness. What is that like? Actually, <laughs> gives you something to live on while you're actually making the book. So it's nice. That's very wonderful. Um, because I, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a writer's strike going on right now about um, yeah. screenwriters. And um, so, yeah, anything that actually gets people paid and paid on time for their work is very important. Yeah. It's really nice yeah. as a writer to to find you know publishers and people to work with that uh, actually value your work and and are willing to pay for it. So, with that um, perspective, did the publishers pay the art team, and you didn't have to do that? Uh, yeah, that was actually when when we came in. Um, you know, part of their uh, part of their acceptance of it is they you know wanted to be able to approve whatever art team we got. They wanted to be able to um, choose uh, the artists. And for me, it was, uh, I was like, you know, I, I want to be able to have approval on, on whatever you guys choose, but specifically I would love to have a non-binary artist on this. And they said, we love that. We'd love to do that as well. Um, and so they went looking for uh, non-binary artists that they thought fit the the style they were looking for. And they, they brought me back a, uh, a handful of folks, uh, all of whom were really great. But Bree's art was immediately like, yes, this is what I see the book looking like. Um, this is the direction I'd like to go. And, and luckily Bree was available. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, on that and the rest is history because that ended up being a great fit. And we eventually brought Melissa on to color and you know, Melissa's great as well. Yeah, it's really um, beautiful to look at. Are the plans then to have it come out in a, in an actual hard cover or is it going to be a soft cover? What, what do they have in mind? Uh, they're doing both actually. They've got a hard cover and a soft cover. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at the hard cover in front of me right now, but they're uh, um, doing both. I really like the hard cover. It's really sturdy and a uh, beautiful book. It's got the sort of spot glass cover that you love. Um, but yeah, they're they're going to have it in soft cover a little cheaper as well. I'm not sure if that's going to have a slightly different timeline or not. I think they're both coming out at the same time. But uh, yeah, it's it's 
doing both. Okay. That's fantastic news. And to just to wrap things up, um, as we record this, I mentioned it's May, and that happens to uh, be the awareness month for several things, one of which is Mental Health Awareness Month. So the transgender community we talked about is uh, earlier is being attacked here in the United States, in the United States a lot, also other countries. Um, people are trying to cut off healthcare. They don't want healthcare for anybody here, to be perfectly honest, but they definitely don't want healthcare for trans kids. So, uh, so Jeremy, from your perspective, do you have any advice on what people can do to help trans kids right now? Um, I think the most important thing is to, to speak up, um, to talk about it, to talk, you know, not just to politicians, but to family, friends, people who maybe don't, don't know trans people, um, the way that a lot of us do. Um, and to, you know, just be, be clear about it, what it is that, that people want and that, you know, these are not trans people are not some sort of mythical group that exists outside of society that, um, we don't see or don't know about their, you know, people, their neighbors, their friends, their, um, you know, side by side with us. I have, you know, lots of friends who, uh, are trans, including non-binary people. That's, you know, those people are equally affected by these sorts of laws. Um, and I think it's important to, to stand up for them and not necessarily just when it's, you know, a law that's being passed or a politician that you're calling or writing a letter to, but just, you know, day to day talking to you know, people, you know, about, about trans folks and trans rights and giving people, you know, stories and, and opportunities to, to learn. Um, because, yeah, you know, I, I think it's something that there's a group of politicians out there that really want to put a certain message out. And if they're the only ones that are, are talking to people are the only ones they're going to hear. Yeah, that's really true. Um, you know, there's, it, it, depending on how you ingest your news, you are either hearing a ton of noise of from everywhere, or you're only getting a very narrow perspective. So it can, um, it can be different and, and difficult, I should say, um, to know what's really going on in these uh, various states with the legislation and the and stuff. Yeah, and I think you know you can't you can't depend on those people listening to trans people either because those people have no. been taught not to. They've been taught that those you know people are, are not their friends. Yeah. They're not their uh, neighbors. So it's it's important to. You know, for people who are not trans, who are not non-binary, who are not actively being persecuted, to, like, talk to those people, to, you know, it's an awkward conversation to have with your mom or your grandma sometimes. But, you know, it's uh, it's just a question of, like, people understanding in a lot of cases. And, you know, the people who are being persecuted are not in a position to help those people understand so it, it falls to you to, you know, care about your, your fellow person. Yeah. Um, and if you are looking for resources, um, if you're a parent, you can look for PFLAG, which is um, 
like a, a parents and family organization to, um, you know, they have chapters all over the place. There's the Trevor Project, which is great to donate to. Um, again, came out of very unfortunate circumstances. And don't forget to um, look f- and help trans women of color. They tend to be the ones that get abused the most and face violence the most. So, um, you know, as if you notice any behavior and you're a parent, you got to, you know, if your kid is a bully, oh, just, I don't know, just st- stop the bullying at the young age. Maybe they'll learn something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, you, but you know, they, bullying, they bullying with... is a part. Yeah. Yeah. They, Sorry, they can go only ahead. Hear, they can, your kids can only hear what's said, you know? And if That's you're true. not talking about it, if you're not, uh, having conversations with them about the the way they're acting or the way, you know, these things are done. There are people who are having the opposite conversation with them about how they ought to treat people who are different, be it trans people or queer people. Um, right. And, you know, it's, it's important that you have that conversation because I think there are a lot of people who don't realize necessarily who their kids are, are talking to at school or who they're listening to online. Online and, is very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a um, there's a lot of people, you know, hosting random YouTube channels about video games that are also yeah. saying the sorts of things that uh, you know are, are absolutely repulsive. Yeah, and it, and that's that's how they get them is they they trick them with um, with things like gaming channels and. Um, you know, whatever toy collectibles, um, whether it's discord or YouTube. Um, but yeah, I've heard such bad things about discord. So, um, I try to avoid it altogether. Um, I, in fact, I just like deleted it off my phone. I'm like, I'm not even using this. So (laughs) it seemed, it was like, like one of the comic book publishers launched a a discord channel. I was like, Oh, I'll go check that out. And all they're doing is like promoting NFTs. I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) Uninstalled. (laughs) I think think discord can be a very powerful resource. It's a place where you can build your own community where you can, you know, uh, be an activist where you can bring people together um, but you know, it's, it's not heavily policed. So it is you right. know, a case where there's, there's definitely channels where there's stuff going on that, uh, you know, you might not want to experience. Yeah. Very, very true. So, I mean, I, I, you know, give you all the credit for raising a kid in the age of the internet because <laughs> we did yeah. not have to have that. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's not always easy, but you know, as there is, I think the positive is as much of that stuff as there is out there, there are a lot more things like, um, you know, my uh, my daughter grew up on things like the Owl House and Steven Universe and things like that that mm-hmm. also didn't exist when I was a kid and are incredibly powerful tools to, yeah. to do just the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um so what, uh, do you have any recommendations of things that you are personally enjoying either book wise, comics, TV, anything you want to give a shout Ooh. out to? Um, hmm. well, let's see. My, uh, my wife and I have actually been working our way through, uh, grand crew, um, which is, uh, on, on Peacock and, and NBC, which is a great, 
um, sitcom oh, th- about a group of yeah, black I think friends. I saw the first episode of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Um, it's a, a really good show. Um, that's been sort of our, our regular thing along with our diet of trash TV, like love is blind, which I don't recommend to anybody, but I've seen every episode of, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, what else I've actually been uh, enjoying. I've, I've been reading a lot of older comics. I'm trying to finish up some stuff that I hadn't read before right now. Um, and because I've been writing uh, Gwenpool, um, I'm doing a Love Unlimited arc on on Marvel Unlimited with uh, Gwenpool, where she has recently come out as Ace in that story. Um, oh, congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, because of that, obviously, I read a whole lot of Gwenpool recently. And... Uh, <laughs> If you haven't read the unbelievable Gwynpool, I definitely recommend that whole that whole series. Christopher Hastings and Guru are both amazing, and and that's a great book. Okay, I saw that people were um, wilds about it this week online. I don't know, like I, I figured, you know, maybe the character appeared in a TV show or something. I didn't know what was so exciting. <laughs> yeah, she. Uh, like, oh, okay. So we we've been writing a sort of romance story. Uh, with her and because you know, Gwen Gwen is such a metafictional character if people don't know anything about her she is uh, she's a character in the Marvel Universe who comes from a world uh, from our world or a world very like our own um, where you know the Marvel Universe is fiction so during you know Secret Wars she got sort of pulled into the Marvel Universe and uh, has, has been a character there ever since um, so she she knows a lot about the world. In a lot of cases, her power is just understanding comics and the way they work. Um, and this this story that we've been doing has been sort of you know it's an ongoing romance comic that switches up every arc between different people. And and Gwen sort of became aware that there was a romance comic going on, so decided that she was going to get herself into it by uh, arranging a meet cute. And um, you know as as that relationship didn't work out exactly the way that she was hoping it would. She has then, you know, tried to orchestrate, uh, you know, a love triangle and then a new relationship and it's slowly come to some, some realizations about herself and, and how she actually feels um, that, you know, we're, we're actually wrapping that up this next, uh, this next Thursday. So that whole arc is actually on uh, Marvel Unlimited right now. So you have to have the app, but if you have the app, it's free. Oh, that's cool. That's great yeah. to know. Um, and where can, <laughs> oh, okay. So um, where can people follow you to keep up with this cool news? Uh, I am still on Twitter. <laughs> it's uh, jrome58, so J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Um, unfortunately, promotion demands such for, you know, yes. uh, folks coming <laughs> out. And then yep. uh, I'm also... Recently back on Tumblr, um, that's uh, jeremywhitley.tumblr.com, um, which has been a lot of fun getting back into that. Um, it's it's gotten better since it had sort of this dip after it got bought initially. Um, but then uh, I, I'm also on uh, my own pa- podcast every week. It's uh, Progressively Horrified, which is about <laughs> a which is about um, horror movies and progressive politics. So watching scary movies and trying to find the redeeming value in them. A lot of cases, which is very easy. Some of which are much more difficult. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, yeah, I've been watching more behind the scenes stuff of horror so that I don't actually have to watch the, the movies themselves because I'm too scared. So <laughs> I watch a lot of behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> yeah, my my wife is uh, a bit of a scaredy cat with the scary stuff as well. Although I have to admit, having watched a lot of horror movies, the ones that continue to stick with me and affect me are usually not the ones that have things jump out and scare you but the ones that have much more uh, troubling mm. implications in, in the long run. The virile psychological stuff that can... Yeah, uh, I think yeah. My, my favorite scary movie, I think to this day, is The Babadook, um, which doesn't have a lot of like things jumping out at you and scaring you, but is uh, a lot about uh, being exhausted and having a kid and dealing with grief. Um, and then... Uh, I had... Yeah, hit me as a hit me at a hard time having a little kid, um, but then also like you know stuff like Hereditary, which like is is not almost for a moment startling, but is like a troubling movie. <laughs> it's like a, a thing I still think about on a daily basis. Oh my goodness! Yeah, those are things that I I would probably never see. Um, Although I'm, I did make the mistake of watching Red Dragon recently <laughs> because it was daytime and on my small TV. So I figured I would be much less, um, you know, panic stricken from it. And it's it's not like there's really anything scary. Um, yeah, it's got a but, great cast, too. It's really hard to pass out. You know? Yeah, exactly. It was um, it, it seemed interesting. And to this day, I still uh, yell, do you see at people? <laughs> <laughs> the well it it ruined what what ruined um that whole series and i've only i think i only saw what i call the silence of the the lambs um the tv version so like with commercials in it and stuff oh. so cut edited and i still was very scared yeah um i did not realize at the time that buffalo bill was from one of my all-time favorite TV shows, Monk, was Captain Stottlemyre. And oh. when somebody said that, and every time I would watch Monk, he'd make a comment, and I was just like, stop it. I'm like, I just, ah, oh. I'm like, I'm like, Ted Levine is so good. I don't, I, I just, I would start getting cringed up and tense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that reminds me, you were asking about stuff I've, I've watched recently. If you like, which I know you do, you like mystery stuff and uh, yeah. whodunit kind of stuff. Have you watched uh, the series Poker Face yet? No. Is that a mystery? It's uh, starring Natasha Leone. It's on uh, Peacock. Um, it is a, it's a, how catch em is what they call it. It's, you know, like Columbo in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, but she is, you cool. know. Uh, she's sort of, for various reasons, going from town to town off the grid, and she, you know, stumbles across people and makes friends with them, and in the process, accidentally stumbles on a murder, and you know, has to has to solve it, and it has all that like fun and and uh, mystery of of you know things like Columbo of of detective shows without uh without there actually being cops involved in the story for the most part, yeah. So. Oh, okay. I will check that out. Um, yeah, cause I was, very I, good. uh, I think I have Peacock. Um, I was watching American auto on think on there. 
which is a cute little sitcom. Um, but um, yeah, what uh, recently? Yeah, I mentioned uh, Abbott Elementary. So good. Um, still watching Bob's Burgers because they still keep making them. <laughs> yeah, those are the, those and, are the two things we watch every week on Hulu: is Bob's Burgers and Abbott Elementary when they come out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fantastic. And um, if you watch Accused, which is a serial sort of a serial drama it's each one they don't have to do with each other so it's episodic but um you can watch them in any order um every single one of them comes with some kind of trigger warning i swear uh just with different things and it is so so tense so incredibly tense very good you start you start the show basically with the ending and then or like not quite the ending and um and then it goes back in time to how you got there and then um catches you up but really intriguing very plot driven incredible stars jason ritter um michael chiklis was in one there it's just really really tense so after i if i you know if i watch that I have to go, you know, put on Bob's Burgers or Abbott or, you know, uh-huh. Superstore or something, even like YouTube and watch people like paint miniatures. <laughs> I'm like, I need a break after that. My heart can't take it. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I get that. We're we're getting ready to dive into uh, on, on my pa- podcast. We're getting ready to start recording our June stuff. So our uh, pride horror movies. Um, and this week we are watching uh the absolutely terrible and trash they slash them, which is also on Peacock, uh, which I do not recommend to anybody. It is <laughs> very bad. It is. It really like it really thinks it's doing something by you know having a lot of like queer main characters, but then the story is is just it's just garbage. <laughs> it's the worst. All right, Jeremy. Um... <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and sharing all this great information. Uh, And uh, the dog night, it's out in May in a couple of weeks. So is there a pre-order situation? Can people go online and pre-order what's going on? Uh, Yep. It's uh, you can pre-order from uh, a few different places. It's on the Macmillan website. You can pre-order through there. Um, Or my, my local comic book shop, uh, ultimate comics is, uh, you know, selling them uh signed so if you you want a signed copy uh once it comes out i will be doing signing for them and they'll be shipping them out signed from there um so they can do that um or uh yeah the the book itself will be out and uh it's about two weeks from now on uh the 15th okay that's fantastic news. Well, thank you so much. Thank everybody out there in uh, internet world. Thanks to you for listening. Don't forget that I do have my own Kickstarter. You know, I'm trying to do it all my first time and, and I'm trying to do it all in three weeks. So um, if you go to Kickstarter, you type in uh, Amber Love, you should uh, immediately see the Winchester Naboo Detective Agency comic book issue one, the case of the roughed up rodent. So I would love your support. Uh, Share it if you can. Um, If you have any questions, let me know. And if you cannot ever afford any of my books, just drop me an email. I'm 
more than happy to to share things if you're in a bind. So I uh, that's pretty much all I have. I know I will be at the Burlington County Library uh, comic book festival thing that they're having this summer. Um, hopefully there will be printed copies of things by then. If not, I'll have definitely have my novels. So uh, you can always keep up with my news. If you go to amberunmasked.com, you can sign up for my newsletter and um, make sure that you don't miss anything that's going on. So thank you for listening.